Hello everybody and welcome to the Digitally Uploaded Podcast, uh, the companion podcast to digitallydownloaded.net. With me this week, it is just me and one other person, it is Matt. Hello Matt, New Zealand Matt, Kiwi Matt, other Matt. Hello Matt. Hello, yes, and I would appreciate it if you didn't call me Kiwi because that is a slur. Oh yes, sorry Also I have been informed by our good American friend Tyler. Yes, yes. So on the digitally downloaded uh, Slack, uh, when we talk about all our editorial stuff, we had a long conversation this week about whether Kiwi was actually offensive or not. And for the longest time, Tyler apparently thought it was like a slur, um, which it's not for anybody not (laughs) aware of that. It's okay to call our New Zealand friends Kiwis. Um, They seem to take an odd pride in being named after a really weird bird. Um, Okay, so... The news this week, it's starting to quieten down, I think. Um, We're getting closer to Christmas, I guess, and all the developers and publishers are going away on holiday. And there's not too much news coming through, except, I guess, there's bits and pieces that will come out from Japan because Christmas isn't a holiday over there as much, so they tend to keep working through. But, yeah, other than that, I think the industry itself goes down in, in, goes into a bit of a shutdown over the next two months. But there has been some little bits of news that have been pretty interesting. Um, For me, the pick of the week is Atelier Lulua has a uh, release date now in Japan. It's going to be released in March, which means it'll probably get released in the West a couple of months later. That's usually how long it takes. And yeah, I'm really looking forward to that, obviously. Not only is it Atelier, but it's also Atelier plus Arland, um, the Arland trilogy. It's the fourth one in that series. The illustrator is Mel Kishida. They've put out a trailer and it looks absolutely gorgeous. So I can't wait. I know Matt's very excited about this too. Yes. For some reason, I feel like it has already been given a Western release date. Maybe I'm confused. Has it? If it has, I totally missed that bit of news. I thought it was just uh, coming out at some point. I know Nelky has a release date. Yeah, yeah. So Nelky comes out just before, a little bit after Christmas in the West, I think. February or something like that. Um, and that's the one that is before Lulua. So Gust mm. is working to such supreme efficiency now. They're actually <laughs> releasing two two Atelier games simultaneously now. It's, um, they're certainly churning them out. But as long as they're good fun, I'll keep playing them and enjoying them. Uh, what about you, Matt? What's your news pick of the week? My news pick of the week is something that I don't know if I'm excited about or frustrated about or confused about and probably all of the above um so uh bloodstained ritual of the night is supposed to be coming out next year but whether it actually will come out or not is a bigger question but the big the new announcement is that the people making that have brought on way forward to help with the development um and if you're not familiar with way forward they made the Shantae games and a few other very good kind of 2D action platformer type games. Um, so on the one hand, it's quite exciting news because they're very good at what they do and with Bloodstained being a similar sort of game, they'll probably have a lot to bring to the table. But on the other hand, this is the latest game that got huge Kickstarter support and then hasn't really been able to I guess deal with the hype that comes from that and it's been delayed multiple times and yeah. 
you've got to wonder. You've got to wonder about the quality of this game if they're bringing in Wayford on that late into the game to try and fix yeah. it as such. So it could be either big delays or it's just not going to be very good, unfortunately. Um, but at least we have the one that Inti creates created, the uh, Bloodstained little yes. pixel platformer thing, which was very reminiscent of the early Castlevania games. And it's really good. I can't remember what it's called. Bloodstained some, blood uh, something or other. I want to say Circle of I really the Moon. That sounds about right. Circle of the Moon? Yeah, maybe Circle of the Moon. We'll go with Circle of the Moon. Anyway, it's actually a very good little platformer and uh, was... <laughs> Circle of the Moon is a Castlevania game. Ah, that, that, that's something similar to that. Yeah, it's, it is. Curse and, of the Moon. Um, Curse of the Moon. There you go. It's a good game. It's a really good game, and Intercreates does a good job with 2D platformers. Um, this is that was only meant to be a little teaser to get people excited for the full game. Whether the full game actually eventuates at all, I guess, is is the question now. But fingers crossed, WayForward can put some magic into it and fix it because that would be good. Yeah, the weird thing is, I've, I played a, a sort of very early demo of it, probably about two years ago now, and. It was a very small slice of the game, but what was in the demo was already felt quite polished and getting close to being complete. So I don't know what's that. What? Yeah, yeah. Like they it, probably had to go through and, and re-jig parts of it or redo parts of it. And mm. um, yeah, for this kind of protracted protracted development cycle is obviously something very wrong with it um which is which is why the again they've probably brought way forward on to try and fix things up so yeah at least at least they're trying at least they didn't just throw it out there like that mighty number whatever it was which was not good for anybody um on that note we'll go to some music let's let's get some music from well let's get some music from that bloodstained uh, little game he's already out
And welcome back, everybody. So we're going to start this podcast off by talking about Civilization VI, which is a game that I can't seem to put down since it came out on Switch, what, about two weeks ago now? Um, I really can't put this game down. It's driving me nuts. It's so good. It is so, so good. Uh, so as you're listening to this podcast right now, there's been the news announced, I guess, that... Um, well, there's been details released about the next expansion, which is coming to the PC version of Civilization VI. And that expansion includes eight new civilizations that you can play as. And the most exciting one, and the one that I've got an interview up on digitallydownloaded.net about, uh, is the Maori, the native peoples of New Zealand, uh, for the first time represented in Civilization VI and maybe the first time represented in a major game ever. I can't think of another time that Maori culture is represented in a game. I don't know, Matt. You're obviously a Kiwi yourself. Is there a game that has the Maori um, in it? Not a major game. There was a a couple of years ago a visual novel um, called... I forget. It'll come back to me. <laughs> Very um, good name, that one. I forget. Perfect name for a game, yes. really. Um, <laughs> we'll figure out the name later on. Um, yeah. But anyway, <laughs> it was um, quite a weird one because it was, I think it was developed in Thailand, but the um, their lead writer was a Kiwi guy. And so it's set in New Zealand, sort of around the 1890s kind of thing. Um, around there, there was a bit of a gold rush type thing in the South Island, and so there is a bit. It touches a bit on um, like Maori culture, and I guess the effect of colonization and how that's affected them in the relatively early days of white people coming to New Zealand. So that was right. Good game, but. Not so good that I remember the title of it, and definitely <laughs> not not a um, major game by any stretch. Yeah, so absolutely, it's not a major kind of AAA blockbuster game by a major publisher, which is which is why I think it's quite exciting that Two K Games has decided to go to the effort to research um, the Maori culture properly um, from the interview chat that I had with the publisher with the producer of the game and I think the lead creative, I can't remember his exact title. Um, they really did go to, to great lengths. Firstly, to to research the stories. Uh, they made sure that they spoke to uh, experts on um, native, native New Zealand uh, culture and language and traditions and all that kind of stuff. And um, yeah, it's very exciting because it also introduces uh, some new mechanics to civilization. So for people who haven't played Civilization, um, when you start out, you have a, a unit of settlers, and those settlers are the ones that create your first city. And from that, you kind of expand from there. But uh, I guess the, the story of New Zealand kind of started from uh, boats. So the people were looking for a new place to call their own country, and they went on a sea, seafaring voyage um, without any idea where they might find land or if they might find land at all. And they did, they found New Zealand. And that's kind of the the origins of the um, the New Zealand Maori story. So in civilization, you actually start, if you pick the Maori civilization, you actually start on boats. And 
smack bang in the middle of water and you have no idea where land is. So you have to find land first before you can start <laughs> building up your cities, which is actually, I know it sounds odd describing it. And if you haven't played Civilization, it probably doesn't mean anything to you, but uh, it's actually a really big change and it's a really exciting uh, gameplay element that I really can't wait to test out if it and see how it works. And um, the leader of the New Zealand people is a uh, fella called... Uh, Coupe. I think I've said his name right. Is that right? Coupe? That's right. Yep. Coupe. Coupe. Yep. So he's a, he's a legend, obviously, um, in uh, Maori history. And um, yeah, I think it's, I think it's very exciting. Uh, I don't know about you, Matt, but I think it's very exciting. I'm looking forward to seeing how it works. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it too. And I think that was part of what finally convinced me to finally play civilization because i've been on the fence about it for a long time because lots of people i know really like it including yourself um but my few limited misadventures with 4x games have never ended well <laughs> so kind of have always always assumed it was a genre that wasn't for me but a lot of stuff i've read and heard about civilization 6 Pretty much since it came out, made it seem very appealing. And the combination of being released on Switch and now with this new expansion in the pipeline has convinced me to give it a go. And I've only played probably about half an hour, 45 minutes so far. I've like, I think I've played about 20 turns in my, of my first game. And so I'm okay. still just very confused and <laughs> bumbling around, and but I'm enjoying it. And yeah, I mean, it, it's obviously um, as a four X strategy game. There's a lot of there's a lot of depth in there, uh, which you'll discover as you play on. But as far as the genre goes, Civilization is kind of the entry level, uh, or kind of the the gateway drug as such to the broader genre, and a lot of people start by playing civilization and then kind of get into the genre in a big way um and civilization six i've got to say is is quite accessible i don't know are you playing through the tutorial version of it or are you playing the did you just jump straight into the game um i am playing what i think thought was a tutorial but i'm not entirely sure if it's an actual tutorial it's basically i think it's just a game and then every now and then a pop-up comes up telling me explaining to me how something works when yeah, that's the tutorial. I mean, the game the game does introduce people. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So the tutorial basically does work like the full game, and once the tutorial pop-ups finish, you can actually keep playing that one anyway. So, um, yeah, it's a good way to to start. Uh, which which faction, which uh, civilization are you playing as? I am. Uh, let me just check that because I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I'm playing whoever it was I was assigned. Um, I'm playing the Norwegian Empire. Oh, okay, that's right. I think yeah, in the tutorial you actually have one assigned to you, so you, yeah. you don't get to pick, which is which is fine. Um, once you start playing the full game, you can pick Japan every time until the Maori come out. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I do. I just basically play as Japan every time, and then find first thing I do is run into Australia or America or something and kill them, and then take their <laughs> 
take their country as my own. Um, and that's basically how I play Civilization over and over again. But yeah, it's really, it's really great. And those expansions, I mean, the other great thing about this expansion, which I'm really looking forward to seeing how it plays out, is it adds a, a real environmental um, element to the game. Um, at the moment in the base game, there's not too much to worry about with regards to climate change and global warming and all that. But with the expansion, uh, once you get into the modern era, every unit you build um, basically consumes carbon, all the buildings that you um, creates carbon, sorry, all the buildings that you build tend to create carbon and it becomes very difficult to keep the um, the earth from not melting down, um, kind of like in the real world, really. And, yeah, uh, that plays into some of the factions. Like, for, exa for example, Coupe, um, each of the leaders in civilization have their own kind of agendas and their own goals. And uh, Coupe, one of his major goals is to keep balance in in the world and not destroy it. <laughs> um, good on good on the Maori people for that. Uh, and yeah, the, the kind of respect for environment. So uh, playing as that civilization, it becomes very difficult to to kind of meet your um, your civilization's goals when everybody else is building, you know, petrol chugging <laughs> tanks and stuff. But uh, apparently, you can do it. I'm being told. Apparently, it's possible. And yeah. That'll be a good thing too. That'll be a good another good element. You can build seagulls to protect your coastal cities from rising um, oceans, <laughs> and the polar caps can melt, and all of that kind of stuff actually yeah. happens in the game. So it's a pretty major expansion. Um, unfortunately, this expansion hasn't been announced for the Switch as yet. <laughs> unfortunately, but I think it's pretty safe to assume it will come at some point. Um, the Switch version has all the previous expansions already built into it, so I imagine it's that they could. Not the most recent one that came out earlier this uh, year. Yes, sorry. The absolute most recent one that came out about the same time as the Switch version. Um, that expansion's not there. But you can assume, I think, that yeah. they will. I'm pretty sure they will. Um, if, you, if you're playing the American Civilization, does climate change no longer exist? <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> can you deny climate change? <laughs> deny it into non-existence. <laughs> I, I can just imagine what's going to happen is a lot of people end up going to war with New Zealand, actually, um, in, in the game. Because, yeah, if if you're not meeting or if you're if you're offending the other leaders by you know going the opposite direction to their um, their their agendas, they tend to denounce you and then go to war with you. And I can ima <laughs> just imagine that a lot of people are going to end up thinking that Coupe is one very militant dude because he's going to... He's going to end up attacking them all for building their their little tanks and um, battleships and stuff. <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's going to be good. It's going to be really good. Can you tell me from your yeah. interview? Um, did you get the impression? What kind of impression did you get about how much research or that kind of stuff they've done? Because well, they promised of... me they've done a lot. They, like yeah. a lot, a lot. They they told me that um, the first thing they did was you know um, got in touch with. Uh, academics and, and whatnot in New Zealand um, made sure they got plenty of books to read uh, about the the Maori culture and and um, they they went to make sure because um, the the facial tattoos for example uh, that all has a very particular meaning to the Maori people and they made sure that the facial tattoos that they put into the game were appropriate and accurate um, yeah. they went to great efforts to find um, a, a native speaker of Maori language to voice Coupe. 
um, oh, wow. and obviously to to give all of his lines in in the, the native language. So yeah, they've really gone to a great deal of depth. And what, I guess one of the good things about it was, I mean, they were telling me that in previous um, civilization games they had a Polynesian civilization, which was just kind of an amalgamation of basically all the Polynesian peoples. Um, but they realized that it wasn't appropriate to keep doing that, just like it's not appropriate to lump all the Native American tribes into the one civilization. So they've stopped doing that. Uh, they wanted to pick just one Polynesian culture and represent it properly. So they were looking at American Samoa. Um, they looked at, I think it was Tonga. Um, and they, they ended up settling on uh, the Maori as the, the right civilization to, to do next. So yeah, they've obviously taken this very seriously. Um, and it's not just thrown in because it's a good thing to do. Um, they obviously wanted to get it right, which is good. That sounds good. I'm looking forward to it. Yes, can't wait myself. Um, and on that note, we've talked enough about civilization. Let's go to some music from Civilization. <laughs> I don't, I don't know if you've had a, if you've come across it yet, Matt. But there's this really cracking version of Waltzy Matilda um, that plays when you're <laughs> after you've run into the Australian Civilization, or if you play as the Australian Civilization. This is really cracking version of Waltzy Matilda, which has like a didgeridoo intro and stuff, and it's really good. So we're going to play that, I think, if I can find it, and um, enjoy it. We'll be back to talk about something very different.
And welcome back, everybody. Hope you enjoyed that wonderful music. Uh, for the second section of the podcast, we are going to talk about something that is very heavily involved with music again. We're going to talk about the Persona dancing games that have just come out. So about a week ago, we had the release of Persona 3 dancing by Starlight and Persona 5 dancing by Moonlight, whatever they're called. I can't remember the subtitles of them. They're stupid. But um, they both came out. And if you got the limited edition, you also got the download code for Persona 4 Dancing All Night, uh, PlayStation 4 edition, which was really good. So you could potentially have three new um, three new rhythm games to play and three Persona games as such to play in one, which was, uh, which was pretty good. And I know you've been playing them since, or uh, Persona 5 anyway, since it came out in Japan about six months ago. Matt, what are your thoughts about it? Is it good? It is good. I really like it. It is... And it's pretty much more of the same, but that's not a bad thing when it comes to more of the same, but with Persona 5 music. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah it, it's very, they're very consistent across the three of them. They are all basically the same rhythm game. And I guess the only thing that's really noticeable is that changes is the soundtracks. <laughs> uh, each of them has remixed versions of key songs from the RPGs the base RPGs and given the music of Persona 3, 4 and 5 is so good um, it's not a bad thing at all to have remixes of it as the basis of a rhythm game really and nice. uh, they're all different they're all very different soundtracks which is which is why if you buy you know, an awful lot of music to play through and it's all very different I guess the one thing that people had a concern about with Persona 3 and Persona 5 Dancing is the lack of a story mode. So Persona 4 Dancing All Night, when it came out on PlayStation Vita, really impressed people because it had a full story which really extended off the end of Persona 4. And it was about eight hours long, I think, and gave you a chance to re-interact with all your favorite characters and see what happened to them after the story finished. And I think a lot of people were concerned that Persona 3 and Persona 5 Dancing didn't have that story mode. Uh, what about you, Matt? Uh, do you think the games suffer for not having that story in it? Um, a little bit, I do. I really like the story mode in Persona 4 Dancing. Um, I thought it was... A very good way to extend Persona 4, 4's story in a way that um, I guess it, it didn't feel like oh we need to make a sequel so we better just quickly retcon the ending of the previous game to make a sequel fit in. It felt more of like an an offshoot of the previous game that fit in a lot more naturally than a lot of those kind of direct sequels often do. And I think it was just a good story in its own right, and it explored a lot of interesting concepts around, particularly around idol culture and fame generally, and the effect of that on people, which is quite interesting. And so, it's, yeah, it's a bit, a little bit disappointing that um, Persona Three and Five don't have that. They, what do they have instead, Matt? Social links. Social links. <laughs> they call them. They call them social links. So after you hit a certain achievement, I guess within the game, which could, which which varies completely. So it could be anything from playing X number of tracks with different costumes, or getting a certain number of you know 
a full combo in a row or, you know, it, there were various conditions that you could meet within um, the Rhythm game. And once you hit those conditions, you had a social link pop up and a social link was a chance to have a conversation with one of the characters from whatever game that you were playing. Um, and in theory, that was a good idea, I guess, because Persona 3 and Persona 5 are obviously very character-driven games. So a chance to interact with your favorite character is not a bad thing inherently. But I don't know, I felt that those social links were a little bit basic <laughs> um, in terms of what they gave you with the characters. And they didn't really do anything to enhance the character, you know, your, your, the depth of the characters or what you understood the characters or anything like that. It was, it just felt like wasted time, really. I mean, the best thing about the social links was it unlocked additional co costumes and accessories to dress your characters up in the rhythm game itself. So you kind of sat through them, but I don't know. I didn't think that was the strength of the game, that's for sure. Yeah, that's sort of the, sort of the impression I got from what I've played of Persona 5 as well, um, which I'm not super fluent in Japanese, so... I, my understanding of the dialogue in those was relatively limited, but that's yeah, that's pretty much the same impression I got. That they seemed more like just funny little character vignettes rather than anything substantial, and and not really even even that. Like, um, for example, you know, as you know, I'm a huge fan of Anne, <laughs> um, big fan of Anne from Persona Five. She's the bestest ever. Well, after Reese from Persona Four, but the two of them are great. Anyway. Um, I was looking forward to the social links with Anne because for the same reason I was kind of I uh, enjoyed the the conversations that you could have with Anne in Persona 5 itself but she just kept talking about dancing and stuff and nothing about her in Persona 5 was like hey she's a hardcore dancer or, or anything like that but just because you know Persona 5 was very focused on the dancing or whatever she ended up just talking about that over and over and over again and it's like well this isn't the character that I like from Persona 5 <laughs> um and yeah, it, it it was disappointing. They could have done a lot more to enhance the characters, um, or, or use these games as a way of enhancing the characters, and they didn't. But in saying that, I did give the games the collection. So you know, if you played three, four, and five together, the collection overall is a, still a solid five out of five game. I think the the rhythm game action is as good as it gets. Um, I really enjoy the the mechanics of those. Uh, I really love the music. The the way that the remixes work and uh, the choreography of the dancing itself is really good as well. Visually, it's a they're very impressive games, and I think Persona Five or Persona fans will still enjoy them even without that story mode. Is my thought. I think. I agree. They so, yeah, I really like the way they approach music in that whole series because a lot of other um, sort of rhythm games based on other video games just take the music directly and drop it into and build a rhythm game around that and mm. that works for some music it doesn't work super well with a lot of the kind of music that you often would have in a video game because they tend to be more ambient sort of background music mm. um, yeah, absolutely. and so I think by having remix remixes that make them more sound more like songs you would dance to it makes for a better rhythm game 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the way they've remixed the music is really good. The The beat is really strong, and because the beat's really strong, you can actually feel what you need to do, you know, in terms of pressing the buttons. Uh, and the, the beat maps are actually really impressive as well. Um, the just the way that you interact with the music through the rhythm game is yeah. is really good. It has a good feel to it, and it's really well designed. And um, the other thing to note is the, the amount of customization you can do in Persona 3 and Persona 5 dancing is pretty impressive. There's a lot of costumes to unlock, um, a lot of accessories to unlock on top of that, and it's fun playing dress-up with your favorite characters. doesn't matter what game it is, really. It's always fun. <laughs> And um, yeah, you can get a chainmail bikini for Anne, which is good. <laughs> of course, you can. You have to play a bit to get there, but it's worth it. <laughs> um, what else is there? Oh, there's also a VR mode for the PlayStation oh, Four yeah. version of the game, which I've is not very good. I've only played it on beta, <laughs> so I think the VR was the one thing that was made like made me vaguely interested in getting the PS4 version. But you say it's not very good. Well, I mean, it works, but it, it's obviously a very um, minimal addition that they've just thrown in there, probably because Sony gave them money to do a VR thing. Um, it's basically just a character viewer thing. Oh, um, okay. So you can, again, you can dress your favorite character up in, in whatever you like, uh, and they'll either pose or dance uh, on the screen, and you put the VR headset on, and you see them in VR, which is, it works. It works. That, that sounds much less interesting. When they first announced it, I th kind of assumed it would just be the game, but in a VR environment. Yes, that would have been really good, but not to be. Maybe somewhere down the track. Yeah, that would have been a lot more, lot more work as well. But anyway. Anyway, yes. If you like Persona um, and you like the Persona games, check them out. If you like good rhythm games, check them out. I will say you don't actually yeah, need to. If you have a soul, check them out. <laughs> I will say you don't actually have to be a fan of uh, a huge fan of any of the Persona games to enjoy these, um, because the music really does stand on its own anyway. Because they're remixes done in a dancey style, um, they don't really feel like game music anyway. And the best example is that of that is I have played Persona Three, but it was a very long time ago, and I only vaguely remember any of it. And I still had a great time with the music uh, in Persona 3 dancing. So you don't need to have, you don't need, the, it doesn't have any assumed knowledge, let's put it that way. Yeah. On that note, let's get some music from one of those three. Um, I don't know. I'll pick a good song. One of the Persona dancing games music, and we'll come back and talk about Christmas, I think. Falling down, 
to the basement, replacement goes as placement. Big bucks payment, I do it like a slave man. Began to lose patience to these complacent successes who assesses rules that assassinate us. Like me, a lot of confidence but fall from vanity. Reason why I got a crew behind me, my family. Even if they try to bribe me, never ride. I believe in beauty or destiny. It's fire, the darker the blood, the fresher the flesh, but darker the soul, the lesser the heart, the lessons are taught. Yo, that's out of TV, the sounds like DV. Bottom is dark, so don't mean not for the weak kids. Underestimate away your brainwashing, illuminated bunch of Hallucination, but to some's elucidation, hell now nah, won't cave. I'm an outlaw, outlaw. Switch my style, counterattack for the southpaw. Recognize the source, of course, to get accused soon Be careful who you choose to speak in back room Jealousy, jealousy, running like sonic boom It's messed up how anger and hate to looms Large in the dark, leaving scars to some But who's fume? I got my third eye to see through the costumes Lies after lies, little finger from lotus juice This black horse beyond dark, he's all so intriguing Lost ones drunk off a pool of money dreaming Dancers to battle and against these demons Great souls, even screaming, oh please Jesus Money makes the world go around, who the richest? Mother Teresa, but they never listen to me Kept dressing with a fake cover and spit fire Burn these trees, baby, baby, baby Backside to everything, but we gonna bring it up Even if I die, my words are lit Bring it up until my last breath Never ever gonna give it up Hmm, ridiculousness Suppose it's sick, sick business But we ain't gonna be fooled by these sickness My brain is safe and sound with pure goodness uh, I guess comparably So just throw your hands high in the air In the air so I can see how you're feeling Put it up in the air when I say yeah, I wish you say it back, say oh yeah. Yeah, I love it now. Let's change the world. And welcome back, everybody. So you may or may not have noticed it is December. Um, it is basically the end of the year. And at the end of December is a little thing called Christmas. And Christmas means spending a lot of the money. It's also meant to be a religious holiday or something, I think. But <laughs> mostly, it's about spending a lot of money. And uh, and as always, you know, people wonder what gifts to get one another. And I think this year, there's an awful lot of gifts that you can get for the people in the family that enjoy to press buttons and play games. And, um, yeah, everybody likes pressing buttons and playing games anymore, uh, you know, these days anyway. So uh, Christmas gaming gifts are good gifts, basically for Christmas, and I don't know, but what about you, Matt? What would you recommend people grab for Christmas for somebody as a gift? PlayStation 1 Classic? Probably not. <laughs> what, even the retro fan? There, no, uh, there are 
there's a group of people that I think PlayStation Classic. And I, I'm, I'm not. This sounds like I'm setting up for some sort of snarky joke, but I'm not. But I think we a lot of us like to complain about PlayStation Classic, but it's I think aimed very much at a different. It's aimed at people who had a PlayStation as a kid and played it a bunch, and then never really kept playing games, and then grew into adults and went on to do adult things and it's an, an easy way to relive that nostalgia for people who aren't really still playing games anymore and i think for those sort of people it's a good gift but hmm. for anyone i mean it was the it was for an awful lot of people uh their first console um it was probably the first console that really took video games to the mainstream um kind of outside of the you know the initial gamer people that Nintendo and Sega appealed to with the earlier consoles. The PlayStation was the first kind of broad interest console, I want to say. Um, and people who weren't necessarily into video games uh, as such could still get something out of buying a PlayStation um, and still did. So, yeah. you know, it was it was an instrumental console audience for video games. And I think you're right. I think for... Those people that had the PlayStation as their first console, the lineup of 20 or so games that are on there uh, represent a good mix of games that they probably played uh, a lot back when they had their PlayStation. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that's missing off there, like the niche stuff that you or I or more dedicated video game players might be interested in uh, that aren't there. But, yeah. The only thing that's really missing that I think the PlayStation 1 Classic desperately needed for what we're talking about is it needed a Tomb Raider on there. Um, yes, definitely. And it doesn't have a Tomb Raider on there. I know the original Tomb Raider games are <laughs> unplayable by today's standards, <laughs> but um, they were you know, instrumental games in, again, broadening the appeal of video games to other people. And, yeah, I, I think it's a bit of a missed opportunity not having one of those on there. But then Square's got to sell the new ones <laughs> to people, so that's that makes sense, I guess. Um, um, but on on a similar note, I think potentially what would be a good present for a lot of people, if you can find one, I don't know if they're still in production, um, is a PlayStation TV, which yes. is essentially it's the hardware of a PlayStation Vita, but instead of a handheld console with its own screen and buttons and stuff it's just plugs into the tv and you plug a controller into it um and by virtue of effectively being a playstation vita you have access to most of the games that were or that are available for that which includes a large number of playstation one games um including yes, i think i mean almost it, everything that's on playstation classic it's a bit of work, I guess, to get one of those set up um, to behave like a PlayStation One Classic. You'll need a memory card in there, and uh, you'll need to oh, yes. jump onto jump onto the PlayStation Store to go through and buy the games and download them onto it. But it's worth it because, yeah, the the PlayStation TV is a great little console. It's about the size of a credit card in terms of dimensions. Uh, it's a little bit thicker, obviously, but it's yeah, it's a tiny little box that just happily sits under the TV and uh, does it basically everything that the retro consoles do. But, um, yeah, it gives you a PlayStation Vita on your TV, which is a good thing. Um, another easy gift, and this is one mini console that I do recommend that people have, uh, the Super NES. 
uh, mini is a really good uh, gift if the person that you are buying it for doesn't already have one. <laughs> a lot of people who have uh, nostalgia for the Super NES already have one of those things, but it's a great little console. It's, uh, it's a nice design. It looks like the Super Nintendo, but smaller, and it has the, the games that are on it are actually uh, a good blend of for the nostalgia. So I think that's a good, and it's much cheaper. It's a really cheap little console. So that's a good buy, I think, for Christmas if you if you don't know what to get somebody and they don't have one of those and they but they do like video games that's a safe bet i think i agree mm. yeah. but don't do the nes one the nes mini is a little bit too old yeah i think that's probably a that that's a good gift if everyone who that would be a good gift for already has one yes yes the nes mini was yeah it's a great little console in its own right i actually think it's a it's a good device but the people that have nostalgia for games that old um, would have bought it <laughs> for themselves. Let's put it that way. It's uh, they're older people now, and uh, <laughs> yeah, the games are that old that they don't really have any relevance to somebody who's younger. Uh, they're very difficult to play unless you grew up playing them, as such. So, yeah. Also, uh, if you know somebody that has a Nintendo Switch, they already have a bunch of NES games available to them anyway. Thanks to the, um, what do they call it? The subscription service. There's classics. There's classics, is it? It's some weird, like, it's like Nintendo Switch Online. There's something, something. It's a really inconvenient title for that part of the <laughs> service that I just know is always a nightmare when it comes to writing about it. Or publications that require you to use official names of things. Actually, um, speaking of the Switch, the Switch itself is actually a really good Christmas gift, I think. Yes, that's a good point. Uh, it's obviously a little bit more expensive than one of those mini consoles, but it is a surprisingly good console. Um, I say that as somebody who bought one on day one and I was looking forward to it and all of that, but you know, we've we've talked about it plenty of times in the podcast before that we are coming off the back of the Wii U. We weren't sure just how dramatically Nintendo was going to be able to turn things around. Um, but the Switch is a genuinely good console, a really good console, uh, to the point it's basically my default these days. I play everything on it if I can, rather than PlayStation. Yeah, and, and they, um, it makes they, a good. It makes for a really good gift. Yeah, and there have been a lot of in the last few weeks, and there've been a lot of like bundles that have been put together that are well it's not it's not really cheap but more affordable than it would be to just go out and buy the console and the game and i assume there'll be more similar types of things put out in the lead up to christmas too yeah absolutely and i mean the other thing that makes the switch such a great kind of christmas gift is it's a good gift for uh, it's a good console for multiplayer um yes because it has the detachable controllers so within the actual box you've got enough for two players you know straight off the console itself um the the, the additional con uh, controllers are not too expensive and just before christmas or in a week from now really well this week is it uh smash brothers gets released and smash brothers will be the multiplayer game to get this <laughs> For, for this Christmas. So, um, yeah, it, it's 
you know, when you when you think about gifts that will really work for Christmas, those kinds of gifts that you can share with other people on the day, uh, on, on Christmas Day, and when you've got all the family around and uh, everybody's having a good time, the Switch really fits in well with that kind of thing as well. Um, what else can we think about? Funko Pops? Just don't. No, no. That's, I know, that's you know it's going to happen. You know it's going to happen. You know, there's going to be people that go shopping. They go to their nearest EB Games. They see the Zing store next to it. They walk into the Zing, Zing store and they see five billion Funko Pops across the wall. And they look in through those and they find, oh, you know, my, my, my kid, my friend, my partner, whoever likes that character, let's get them the Funko Pop. And just don't do it because it's mean for that person. Funko Pops are terrible and ugly. And evil. Yeah. I hate them. I hate them, Matt. <laughs> I want to send Funko Pop out of business. That sounds like a noble um, goal. Um, instead of getting a Funko Pop, <laughs> buy the um, PlayStation VR bundle that comes with Moss and Astrobot Rescue Mission. Because uh, yeah. those are two of the best VR games. To, that have come out so far, and they, I think the normal retail price of that bundle is about $300. Yeah, it's getting to a really affordable price, which yeah. is good. Um, VR's always had that potential that it just needed to drop to a price where uh, people will take a risk with it. I have to say there is a risk with buying that for a gift that if somebody can't play VR, um, yeah, that's a good point. It'll come across as a disappointing gift because yeah. there are still there are people that struggle with VR. It has the potential to make people feel queasy, uh, motion sickness, uh, headaches, and all of that kind of stuff. I would recommend if you are thinking of getting VR for somebody, see if they, you can figure out some way to get them to try it first. Um, yeah. And if they can handle it, then yes, it makes for a great, great gift. If not, keep the receipt because you might need it. Which is unfortunate. Um, it'd be nice if every absolutely everybody could do VR, but yeah, it it does mess with the heads of some people. So, yeah. recommended gift, but with a disclaimer attached. Still better than Funko. <laughs> Should people be getting Fortnite for their friends as gifts? Uh, Fortnite, as in the free game. Yeah, I think yeah. The Fortnite's the perfect gift to some, give somebody because it's free. <laughs> hey, look. The free game, and it's like it's still plastered all the shelves. Anytime you walk into a game shop, which is like, I, don't, <laughs> I guess they're bundles of. Fortnite I think it's the freemium currency, or, isn't it? Yeah, it's like the it's the in-game currency that you use to buy decorations for your characters. Are the decorations? I don't know. I've played Fortnite like three games and realized it was terrible, and never played it again. Um, Every time I seen, I walk into a game shop, there's some like four-year-old kid grabbing one of those placeholder boxes off the shelf and trying to beg their parents to buy it for them. <laughs> is is it all the dances in Fortnite that people, all the kids are doing these days? Is that the thing? That, that is like the thing, dance. apparently. And, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know. We're old, Matt. I think we're, yeah. we're too old for Fortnite. If you, but apparently that would be a good gift. <laughs> if you've got a apparent, kid apparent. that likes shooting stuff, um, yes. Fortnite's probably is better, better to do Fortnite than Battlefield, let's put it that way. 
probably. But also, like, maybe look into it first and don't buy it for someone who is um, too young for it. Yes, yes. As always, um, especially for parents buying gifts for kids. I don't know if we've got many parents that listen to this podcast. <laughs> but, um, you know, if uh, I always think that it's a good idea to, to exercise some restraint with buying these things. Like if a game's R-rated, uh, even if the kid has it on their Christmas list, maybe don't. Um, because, yeah, a lot of the popular games are the Call of Duties and the Battlefields and all of that kind of stuff, and I, I don't know if they're appropriate for kids. They'll be on lists, but I don't know if they'll be appropriate. No. Of course, you know. Um, your kid's not my kid, so maybe your kid is really <laughs> mature and can handle Battlefield and power to you, I guess, but... Yeah. On that note, <laughs> on that. Let's, let's wrap things up. Um, whatever you, uh, whatever you do, I hope you have an absolutely wonderful Christmas. Anyway, um, there's, yeah, I'm sure whatever gifts you find for people are going to be wonderful, and just don't get them Funkos, and they'll be happy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, and yeah, we'll be uh, we'll be back next week. I'm not quite sure when we'll wrap up the podcast for the year, but we've got another episode or two to go anyway. I think um, we'll head out with some music from what's some good music to use, Matt? Let's let's go with something that's on the PlayStation Classic. Um, Final Fantasy VII's on the PlayStation Classic, isn't it? It is. Yep, we'll get a song for Final Fantasy VII to wrap things up. Thanks very much for tuning in as always, and we will see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>